Hello and welcome to the 44th episode of Snippets. I am Dr. Gaurav Chauhan, your host for today. Friends, as we all know, endophthalmitis is the most dreaded post-operative complication after any intraocular surgery. It can also occur after trauma or endogenously. Today we have with us Dr. Mona Bhinde, a renowned vitro-retinal surgeon and senior consultant in the Department of Vitro-Retina at Shankar Netral in Chennai. She will be sharing with us her experience and her expertise regarding this dreaded complication. Welcome to Snippets, ma'am. Hello everyone, my name is Muna Bhinde. I will be speaking to you on the outlines and principles of management of postoperative endophthalmitis. Infectious endophthalmitis is a condition in which the internal structures of the eye are invaded by replicated microorganisms, resulting in an inflammatory response that ultimately may involve all tissues of the eye. Sterile or non-infectious endophthalmitis could be either fake or anaphylactic uveitis caused by retained lens matter, toxic anterosegment syndrome caused by toxic agents, or an intense fibrinous uveitis due to complicated surgery. Endophthalmitis could be classified as fulminant when it presents between and less than four days post-surgery and typically caused by coagulus-negative staphylococci and gram-negative bacteria. Acute endophthalmitis presents as an average of 5 to 7 days post-surgery. Subacute or delayed onset can present 4 to 6 weeks post-surgery. And this could be due to either P. acne, staph epidermitis, fungi or cornibacterium species. And chronic or late onset endophthalmitis can occur months to years after surgery, typically caused by fungus. Comparing TAS and endophthalmitis, TAS presents one to three days post-surgery. The symptoms are typically blurred vision. There is limbus to limbus corneal edema, a variable anterior chamber reaction with or without a hypopion. The vitreous is typically clear. The response to steroids is positive and these may occur in clusters. Microbiology is negative. Infectious endophthalmitis on the other hand can present any time up to one week post-surgery. Patient presents with pain and blurred vision. There is corneal edema and the anterior reaction is much more severe. There is vitritis and the response to steroids alone is poor. This may occur either as clusters or isolated cases and microbiology is positive. The workup of a patient with endophthalmitis starts with a detailed history and evaluation of the case record. Noting the timing of symptoms with respect to surgery and possible risk factors at every stage. And if the patient has been referred from outside, whether any immediate management was done. It's important to know whether it was an isolated case or a part of a cluster. Examination involves measurement of the best corrected visual acuity, recording of the pupillary response, anterior segment, intraocular pressure, status of the intraocular lens, the corneal graft, other implants, and a fundus evaluation. And then establish a possible clinical diagnosis. Ocular investigations would include an ultrasound, which is important to note the presence or absence of vitreous ecosan membranes, the presence of residual lens matter, underlying retinal detachment, the presence or absence of a posterior vitreous detachment, presence of choroidal thickening detachment, and a T sign. Ultrasound is diagnostic, prognostic, and an important follow up tool. In addition, one would need to perform microbiological tests, common sites from which samples are taken at the anterior chamber, 
vitreous and the vitreous. Aceta or vitreous type aspirate or biopsy are the common samples. However, one may occasionally resort to culturing the lid margins, the conjunctiva, corneal scrapings, infected sutures or acid fluids after vitrectomy. Microbiological evaluation involves a study of the smear using gram stain, gemsa stain, KOH or calcofleur. Culture of the sample using aerobic and anaerobic media. The aerobic media could be blood or chocolate agar, McConkie media and BHIB. Anaerobic is brucella blood agar and thigh glycolate broth. Fungus is cultured on sabarot dextrose agar. Antibiotic susceptibility testing of the isolates may help to plan subsequent therapy, particularly when initial empirical therapy is ineffective. In addition, other molecular biological methods like PCR are now gaining importance. Endophthalmitis is managed medically using antibiotics and steroids. And the antibiotics are in the form of hourly fortified drops, sometimes subconjunctival injections. Intravitreal injections of antibiotics forms the mainstay, with steroids being the ancillary treatment. Systemic antimicrobials have use in certain selected groups. In addition, topical cycloplegics and if required, anti-glaucoma medication is required. Steroids are generally avoided as initial treatment in suspected fungal endophthalmitis. The endophthalmitis vitrectomy study, which was a landmark study in the 90s, recommended that all patients should receive intravitreal antibiotics and routine immediate vitrectomy was not recommended in patients whose vision was more than hand movements. They also ruled that systemic antibiotics had no benefit. However, in the changing scenario, a lot of our patients are already on topical or systemic antibiotics, so the conjunctival flora may be altered and this may also lead to low culture positivity. The changing profile of infecting organisms and availability of newer tests for microbiological confirmation are also new factors which we see these days. We also have newer systemic antibiotics which have a better spectrum good ocular penetration and a high MIC. The spectrum of causative organisms of post-operative endophthalmitis may be distinctly different in different regions. We know that the source may not be a common conjunctival flora. Possible other sources could be due to inadequate sterilization and OR facilities, contaminated irrigation fluids and factors like patient hygiene. Intravitreal antibiotics are the mainstay of treatment in endophthalmitis. For bacterial endophthalmitis, one could use either intravitreal cefazolin 2.25 micrograms, milligrams or vancomycin 1 milligram, along with intravitreal am amikacin or ceftazidine and intravitreal dexamethasone. In case of fungal endophthalmitis, one could use either intravitreal amphotericin B, fluconazole or voriconazole with or without intravitreal antibiotics. Steroids are generally avoided in, in the initial stages of fungal endophthalmitis. Intravitreal antibiotics could also be selected by the smear report in case of gram-positive cocci. Vancomycin or cefazolin can be used in case of gram-positive bacilli. Vancomycin is the drug of choice. In case of gram-negative organisms, ceftazidime or amikacin are used. Fungus requires either amphotericin B, fluconazole or voriconazole. As a rule, one would use two broad-spectrum antibiotics to cover the entire spectrum. 
and these antibiotics could be modified based on organisms isolated, the sensitivity pattern and the clinical response. Topical medications are usually supplemental and are important in cases where there is corneal section infiltrate or blood-related endophthalmitis. Systemic antibiotics has had very little use in EVS era where very few antibiotics had broad spectrum coverage and good intraocular penetration. However, certain newer antibiotics now have much better intraocular penetration. The first of these is moxifloxacin, which is extensively used even as prophylaxis. However, there, is, there are reports of increasing resistance, which is a matter of concern. Colistin is a polymyxin antibiotic to which most gram-negative microorganisms are susceptible. It can be given intravitrally, topically or intravenously. However, the intravenous dose has poor ocular penetration. Imipenem and meropenem are two of the carbapenems which can also be used in cases of severe gram-negative infection and the intravenous route also gives good vitreous penetration. Intravitreal injections in the dose of 50 to 100 micrograms are also used. The role of steroids is usually as an adjunct to antibiotic to reduce inflammation and cicatrization to preserve the retinal architecture, reduce exudation and steroids are given either topically, intravitrally or orally. Surgical management involves vitrectomy and the indications of vitrectomy are absence of fungal flow, no response to medical treatment, suspected fungal infection and declared media opacity once the infection has died down. Eyes with no light perception, suspected retinal detachment or ultrasound and extensive corneal involvement may be relative contraindications for vitrectomy. The rationale for vitrectomy is to remove the bulk of infected material, to remove the endotoxins and exotoxins, provide material for microbiological tests and permit better access to microbials. It also permits early clearing of the medium. During vitrectomy, it's important to inspect the section and close it if necessary. Debride the cornea in case the cornea is hazy. Rarely one may resort to a penetrating keptoplasty. The hypopion and exudates are cleared from the anterior chamber and sent for microbiology. A standard three-port vitrectomy with a long infusion cannula is performed. MIVS gives us an ease of surgery these days. Occasionally, when the cornea is opaque, one may need to do an endoscopic vitrectomy. It's important to first collect an undiluted vitriol sample for microbiological evaluation. During vitrectomy, it's important to remove as much vitreous as possible and the endpoint is visible major, major retinal vessels and optic disc and macula. One should not attempt PV induction or vitreous base removal in all cases and it's important to avoid hydrogenic breaks. Intravitreal antibiotics and steroids are given at the end of surgery. Intraocular lens removal would be a traumatic procedure in already inflamed eyes with endophthalmitis and is not necessary in all cases. However, when the capsule and bag are the source of infection and full of exudates or in cases of chronic endophthalmitis or recurrent infection post vitrectomy, the intraocular lens and the capsule may need to be removed. Postoperatively, one needs to closely watch for improvement in symptoms. Most important symptoms are pain and visual acuity. Analgesics are used if necessary. Topical and systemic antibiotics, antifungals with or without steroids, 
topical cycloplegics and repeat sampling and intravitreal injections based on the response. Immediate postoperatively, the patient may appear to worsen due to the inflammation caused by the second surgery, evolving posterior hyaloid separation, dispersion of residual exudates, and progressive corneal changes. It may also indicate that the patient is non responsive to treatment. In all cases, it is important at every stage to document the vision using the slit lamp findings either with a diagram or a photograph, ultrasound, fundus evaluation, results of microbiology, surgical steps and findings and the clinical course as every patient is a potential medical case. Finally, investigation of the circumstances causing the infection is most important in case of clusters. This involves examining the entire OT complex including the sterilization units, AC ducts and filters, instruments like phaco probes, tips and tubings, irrigation and fluids, and viscoelastics. We all know that postoperative endophthalmitis is a nightmare for the ophthalmologist, but careful attention to detail at every step in patient management may make this a complication that can be handled. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you ma'am for such an informative session. I am certain that this will be beneficial to all our listeners. Thank you all for tuning in. Do subscribe to our channel. Hope to see you next week with yet another interesting topic. Till then, be safe.